0: Those that are speaking in chapel are usually contacted several months in advance of when they'd like for you to speak and what topic they'd like for you to speak on. So it was back in April or May when I was contacted to speak, preach on this topic of maturity moving up today. And so I've been chewing on this message for months now. And about six, eight weeks ago, I was sitting at Starbucks with my brother. I know, shocker, Douglas was at Starbucks Um, and second of all, okay, first time students, here's the thing, there's Doug Welch, and there's Teresa Welch, he is my brother, not my husband, I am not Mrs. Welch, I am Dr. Welch, let's get that clear, thank you. Anyway, yeah, so probably I shouldn't be preaching this sermon on maturity, alright, so (laughs) we were we were brainstorming about what does it mean to be mature? We were talking about, all right, so what's maturity look like in our culture? And we got on the topic of what does it mean to be an adult? Is it when you turn eighteen and you're legally an adult? Is it when you evidently swipe your card as you come into chapel? Does that mean you're an adult? Thank you, Isaac. Um, you're <laughs> the voice from behind the curtain. Um, What does it mean to be an adult? Is it when you graduate from high school or college? Is it when you start paying your own bills? Is it when you get off your parents' health insurance? Um, And then Doug looked at me and he said, or is it when you get married and have children? (laughs) Right back at you, buddy. (laughs) So I'm wondering, you know, why am I preaching this sermon on maturity? I'll be honest. I have wondered if at some point, because I'm a single adult, if I've missed out on something I was supposed to grow up in because I didn't get married and have kids. So I decided that you all can help me decide this morning, am I an adult or not, by tracing a day in the life of Teresa Welch, hashtag adulting. Thank you. I um, So I, I went to join Instagram and then realized... I had already joined Instagram like three years ago, and I never posted anything. So here is my story on Instagram of the day in the life of Teresa Welch, hashtag adulting. My day begins, as many of yours do, at 5.45 a.m. When I choose to not hit the snooze button, instead take this picture with a screenshot. And then my day continues by... Well, getting up and making my bed and putting my coffee cup in the dishwasher before I leave for work. I mean, hashtag adulting. And then I get to the office, and, of course, I open up my Greek New Testament to begin a word study, as I do every morning, of course. And then I went to class earlier than everyone else so that I could be there before any student arrives so I could greet them as they come through the door. And then, of course, at the end of the day, I clean up my email inbox. Amy Storms, don't start laughing at me yet. Um, and, And send out an email, of course not using the reply all, hashtag adulting right? And then I get home and I mow my grass and I set out my garbage and my recycling. Hashtag adulting and saving the world. Um, I empty the dishwasher that I started in the morning after I put my coffee cup in there and then I uh, do a load of laundry and then I hang up said laundry in my closet. Yes, I do own that many cardigan sweaters, if you're wondering. All before I sit down For a delicious meal that I have made myself. You thought, you wondered if I could cook, I could cook. I mean, look at what I can do. And then, you know, before I go to bed, of course, I have to balance my checkbook without a calculator. Um, Thanks, mom and dad. And, uh, of course, do some grading on canvas. Hashtag adulting. And like the rest of you, I can make a pretty good impression of an adult on social media a place where we lie to each other about our lives. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, that picture of me preparing a meal for myself um, never have happened before until Sunday night. What I really should have done was turned around and take a picture of the kitchen if that was a complete disaster area, just to take that one photo. But we've been pretending to be grown-ups ever since we were little. Ever since we put on our grandpa's work boots, our mom's high heels, our big brother's football jersey, um, our cousin's prom dress, we've been pretending to be adults. And it's cute when we're four or six, maybe even when we're ten. But it stops being cute and starts being a problem when we attempt to accelerate our maturity through immature activities. And we all fall into this category. We still fall into this category when in an effort to impress someone, we act like an adult and we fall into sin. You might have taken that drink or lit that cigarette to impress someone all the while knowing that Paul has warned us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Maybe in an effort to prove I'm not a kid anymore, You went to that place you shouldn't have gone. You watched that show you shouldn't have watched. You go further than you should in that physical relationship with that boyfriend or girlfriend. Ignoring the words to the Galatians, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Others of us pretend to be adults by involving others in our sin. In an effort to feel important, we share a piece of information that we have about someone else. Scripture calls that gossip. In an effort to feel superior, we slander someone else's good reputation. We attempt to sound like an adult by entering into a discussion, and it elevates to an argument to demonstrate our intellectual prowess. Rather than following Paul's admonition, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When in an effort to demonstrate the freedom given, we act childish. The very opposite of mature. Peter says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead of looking like mature adults, we look a whole lot more like the Gentiles did in Ephesians. Infants tossed back and forth by the wind and the futility of their thinking there darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. C.S. Lewis describes us this way, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea we are too. We are far too easily pleased. And our attempts at maturity lead us away from that which God has designed for us. God's design was that our lives, our gifts, our talents, our abilities would be used in service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, or the ESV translates it, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how do we move up? How do we grow up? How do we mature? How do we trade this half-hearted, weak-desired creature that we are for all that the gospel promises? I mean, we join a good company in scripture. I mean, if you trace through biblical characters through scripture, they acted immaturely. You've got, Sarah giving Hagar to Abram so that they can start a family. You've got Joseph bragging about his dreams to his brothers. Moses kills an Egyptian and hides the body. Hannah weeps bitterly because she is barren. David calls for Bathsheba. Esther hesitates to go to the king. Jonah runs. The disciples argue. Martha stews. Thomas doubts. And Saul persecutes. We are in good company. But the thing is, is they did not stay in their immaturity. They did not stay in their immaturity. Something happened to each of them. And the question is, what is the common denominator? What's the common denominator in all of those stories? Because we don't find in scripture that these people tweak their spiritual life by adding spiritual disciplines. We don't see them starting a 10-day easy step process to growing into maturity plan. They didn't join an accountability group. Instead, here's what I think the common denominator is. God transformed them. The common denominator is God was involved. God moved them up. It's my opinion, and I believe scripture will support it, that in order to become mature, we need to do nothing so that God can do everything. In order to be mature, we need to do nothing so that God can do everything. And nothing in our lives starts with us sitting down. Sometimes I think God is looking at us saying, sit down. You know Why? Because when we sit down, we relinquish control. One of my favorite gospel stories, this will come as no surprise to many of you, is found at the end of Luke chapter 10. There are two women with Jesus. Martha is moving, Mary is sitting. And you're probably familiar with this story. You know that Martha is upset and Mary isn't moving, and Jesus invites Martha to sit down. Martha. And we fail to realize in our 21st century eyes exactly what's going on in that 1st century story, the scandal of that encounter. Mary is sitting in the position of a disciple. Martha is doing what is culturally acceptable, preparing the meal. And Jesus tells her, stop and sit. How many hours do the disciples spend sitting with Jesus? One suggests that there were 9,000 hours that the disciples spent with Jesus over three years How many of those hours were spent just sitting with him at a meal, listening to what he had to say? I mean, Jesus himself gives us the example of the importance of sitting down so that God can do his work because Jesus himself withdrew to quiet places. Where do we first see Jesus as a 12-year-old in the gospel? Sitting in his father's house amongst teachers. The psalmist encourages a specific type of sitting. Be still and know that I am God. The word there for be still literally means to let go of your grip. What do you need to sit down from? Let go of? Because if you want to be mature, you have to relinquish control. Control of your time, your day, your position to God. Ministry and school and services busy. I know, I know how busy it can get. And service is important, and I know Randy will agree with me in this, that the Talon Basin that Randy talked about last week is going to be shallow work if you don't also sit with God every day. We need both. Eugene Peterson says it this way, how can I lead people into the quiet place beside still waters if I am in perpetual motion? How can we become a tour in Christ if we aren't first sitting at the feet of Christ? So do you want to move up? You want to grow up? You want to get mature? Sit down with Jesus and do nothing. And in the sitting position, here's what I think God also tells us. Stop talking. Or in a way that my mother will not like for me to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Shut up. Shut up. Sometimes I think that's what God is trying to tell us. Stop talking because we talk way too much. We are talking way too much. And I'm not just talking about conversation between people. And I love the technology that connects us. I love it. I have a brother that lives in California. I love that technology connects us. But technology is connecting us so much that we are talking to each other all day long. We're tweeting, we're Facebooking, we're Snapchatting, whatever it is. And we're talking to the point that we are, we're elevating our voices in the effort to be heard above one another. And how can God break through if we're just talking all the time? Jesus was too polite to say, shut up. His mother evidently trained her, him better than my mother trained me. But when the disciples woke him up, uh, when they were in a storm and they said they were going to drown, Jesus silenced the wind and waves and he silenced the disciples by saying, where is your faith? Shut up. When the sons of thunder, James and John, ask if they could call down fire from heaven on this group that had rejected them, Jesus rebukes them. Shut up. Stop talking. When Jesus catches the 12 arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, here's how Jesus shut them up. He went and found a child and he put him in the middle. This is what greatness looks like. Stop talking. And Peter, no, Peter, 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 seems like every time that peter opens his mouth right he says the wrong thing especially when he's in front of jesus let's retrace some of his more memorable stories lord if it is you tell me to come out to you on the water and then jesus has to pick him up out of the water right when jesus explains that he's going to be killed by the religious leaders peter says to him never lord this will never happen to you and what's jesus's response get behind me satan That's one way of saying stop talking. (laughs) On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's up there and he says, Lord, it is good for you to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love this one because God is the one. God himself comes down in a cloud. You want to see a tent? Let me show you a tent, Peter. And then he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. In the upper room, Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus responds, unless I do, you can have no part of me. And the words that Peter will say that we all know, even if I fall away on account of you, I never, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And we know that the next time Peter opens his mouth, it's denied Jesus once, twice, twice times. How often are we like Peter? Talking and talking and talking and talking. The psalmist writes, for God alone my soul waits in silence. Silence is when we create space for God's activity rather than filling every moment with our own. How can the message of Christ break through if we don't sit down and stop talking? If you trace Peter in the Gospels. You'll notice we don't have any words that he says at the resurrection. He didn't say anything at the tomb. In the first appearances of Jesus to the 11 in the closed room, first to the 10 and then the 11, Peter isn't recorded as saying anything. It isn't until Jesus asks Peter a question that we hear Peter speak again to Jesus. Jesus asks him, Simon, do you love me more than these? And Peter's answer is, yes, Lord. I think we need to stop talking so that we can be ready to hear Jesus' words and say, yes, Lord. You want to move up? Sit down. Stop talking so that God can. Because maturity isn't something you achieve. Maturity is the process of God transforming you into the image of Christ. Listen to how Paul describes this process of transformation. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, seeing that we have put off the old nature with its practices and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. It's much easier to do nothing of sitting down and shutting up when I know that God is at work. I no longer have to be a slave to my immaturity when I know that it is God who works in you and me to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I mentioned that I've known for several months about this message. And so as I've been chewing on it and thinking about it, I've been reflecting on my own journey with God and maturity and immaturity. And I was thinking um, there, was a ser- there was a season of my life prior to my coming to Ozark about four years ago. There was about an 18-month period in that time where it was really difficult. Um, I had a personal relationship end. I had some friendships that were really strained. The organization I worked for at the time had some severe financial difficulty that was creating a lot of problems. We had colleagues that were at war with each other very literally, and it was difficult and At the end of that period of time, I got a phone call that my youngest brother, Doug and my youngest brother Kyle, um, had cancer <laughs> I was like i 've had enough." <laughs> But if I think about that period of time, I also know that was a real growing up time for me. That was a time of maturing. And there would be many people who would point me to James chapter 1 and say, consider it joy when you face trials. Mm, It's hard in trial. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And... It was a time of trial and testing and perseverance. But here was the key for me, is that during that period of time, I had no option but to sit down and shut up. Because I couldn't solve any of the problems that were before me. And I am a problem solver. That is who I am. And I couldn't solve anything. I had to do nothing so that God could do everything. And sometimes a slow learner, I am, but I do learn. And I have learned that the most grown-up adult thing I can do every day is sit here. I have a chair that I sit in most mornings. And I don't say this to brag, because quite frankly, this is a habit that's recent for me. It's a habit I wish I would have picked up a long time ago. And there are days when I don't sit here and I know it pretty quickly into my day. And there are days when I sit here and I talk way too much. And there are days I sit here and God talks to me, and within hours I'm doing the thing I shouldn't be doing, and I'm immature again. But I found the words of Tish Harris Warren to be true. How I spend this ordinary day in Christ is how I will spend my Christian life. I get to be part of the team that leads the spiritual formation retreats. And currently, there's about 40 of you here in this room. That's about at day 20 of a 40-day practice of spiritual practices. And I love to read the assignment that comes in at the end of these practices because students say over and over and over and over, My relationships are better. I'm a better husband or wife. I'm a better colleague. I'm a better coworker. I'm a better roommate. Old habits are dying. I'm eating. I'm sleeping better. I'm a better student. That's what I hear over and over and over. And I'm glad that we have that assignment. But here's the thing. It's not just a 40 day assignment. It's a lifetime assignment it's not just about the next 40 days or the next year, the next four or 10 or 15, 20 years. We here are trying to prepare you for a lifetime of ministry. And I'm encouraging you to sit down and stop talking and let God do his transforming work. What would happen on this campus if all of us embraced that? What would happen on our dorm floors and in our friend groups and our college departments if we all embraced the opportunity to sit down and be quiet? Because maturity is not a destination. It is the process of God transforming you into the image of Christ. And so to close, we're going to practice it together. (laughs) You're already sitting down for the most part. So I'd ask for you to be quiet, and in a moment I'll be quiet. And I want you to not talk to God, but let him talk to you. And at the conclusion of a few moments of silence, I'm going to give a benediction from Ephesians 3. So would you do nothing, sit down, and stop talking.